What's up, subscribers? Happy May Day. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. And we've got some bonus content for you. We're taking the day off from the regular old newscast in honor of the international workers. But we did record an interview for our subscribers to put on Patreon. We spoke with foreign policy analyst Derek Davison about Benjamin Netanyahu's big announcement on Monday night and the prospects for the Iran nuclear deal. So, enjoy the interview. So, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, gave this presentation on Monday night. I'm curious, Derek, who you think his audience was. It clearly wasn't people who've been paying attention to this issue because they've all responded by saying that this is nothing new. This is all information that the IAEA had already known, that negotiators already known, that U.S. intelligence community has already known. So who is who is Netanyahu talking to? Is it just maybe one single individual who hasn't really been paying attention to the issue, who might be swayed very easily? <laughs> I think, uh, I said this yesterday, I think his audience was the producers at Fox News. Uh, and then <laughs> or them, yeah. through them, the, uh, the man sitting in the White House who doesn't know what any of this stuff is and needs it explained to him like he's a child because he basically is a child. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think the goal was to get this. You notice it was very short and very, uh, you know, had a lot of big writing on the big PowerPoint screen behind him. Uh, he did it in English, so it clearly wasn't for a domestic audience. Uh, I think he wanted this presentation to be played on Hannity and then to be played on Fox and Friends in the morning because he knows how to get information to Donald Trump or to get his spin to Donald Trump anyway. Do you think it worked? Um, I, I mean, I think it probably did. I, I, you know, it's... Um, I mean, Trump was already heading toward scuttling the deal anyway, so I don't think this is a... Uh, going to change anything. I don't think it's a big revelation. Uh, but I think from, from Netanyahu's point of view, uh, and maybe, you know, guys like Mike Pompeo, who, you know, he just met with over the weekend and then suddenly had this trove of information that he had to get out immediately. Um, you know, I think for those guys, it was useful to make sure that the last voice in Trump's ear was not Macron or Angela Merkel, you know, somebody who's trying to convince him, I think, against, uh, you know, against all odds to stick with the nuclear deal. Uh, so, you know, take leaving nothing to chance. I think these guys want to make sure that the last thing in Trump's head, which is always the first thing that he pulls out, uh, was this this presentation from Netanyahu. You mentioned the the impending deadline uh, for recertification of the nuclear deal. That's coming up in, I believe, 12 days, 11 days. Yes. You also mentioned Pompeo was just in uh, Israel talking to Netanyahu. And I wanted to ask you what you think of the timing of this speech is in the context of Trump's cabinet shuffle. I mean, do you think... Do you think that uh, Netanyahu would be giving this speech if Rex Tillerson was still Secretary of State? Uh, I mean, it's an interesting question. He would be doing it on his own volition. And we don't know what happened when Pompeo was there over the weekend. Like, we don't know if Pompeo came in and said, hey, it would be, it would be good if you did something to sort of cement 
Trump's impression of the deal and, you know, the Iranian, you know, call the Iranians a bunch of liars. Uh, after this last week, he's a little shaky and we, you know, it would be good if we could kind of make sure he's heading in the right direction. Or if Netanyahu already had this in mind and Pompeo came in and he, he brought it up with Pompeo and talked to him about it. Um, certainly if Tillerson was still there, Tillerson was uh, known for being a fan of the deal, or if not a fan of the deal, at least uh, somebody who was advising Trump to stick with it. Uh, in fact, that's the one thing Trump cited when he fired him was his uh, support for the deal. Uh, so it might have, again, it's it's hard to say what the backroom dynamics were here, but certainly it would have been different if Tillerson were still there. Pompeo, uh, to the extent that he may have advised Netanyahu on this, well, I mean, you know, that wouldn't that factor wouldn't have been there. How about John Bolton? Do you think Bolton was, uh, I mean, we, we said that Trump via Fox News was probably the number one target, uh, obviously, for, his spe- for the speech. That was his audience, but... To what extent do you think he was also uh, making this now because he has a very, very sympathetic uh, figure in the White House in John Bolton, someone who's basically helped Netanyahu through this process before when Netanyahu was angling for uh, the U.S. to invade Iraq after 9-11? Right. I mean, I think that probably factors into it a little bit, too. I think the bigger consideration is that Trump just spent a week being schmoozed by Macron and then harangued by Merkel hmm. uh, over, you know, staying in. And he, he supposedly, or I, I supposedly, I think he might have even had a call with Theresa May, who also, you know, gave him the same message that Europeans think the deal is working and think that the United States needs to stay in it. And so I, I think it was more about countering that message, even though it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, judging by what Macron said when he left. D.C. last week, it doesn't seem like any of that talk, any of his sales pitch really sunk in. I still think uh, there geez, was what a concern surprise. because, you know, we have a wet-brained president who <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing uh, and is easily swayed. I think there was concern on Netanyahu's part and maybe on, you know, Bolton and Pompeo, I don't know, uh, that he needed to get, you know, get the message out again, you know, reinforce the, the narrative. Netanyahu doesn't have a really good track record when it comes to uh, sharing intelligence before, uh, in the run-up to a war. You, you can remember <laughs> in the Iraq war, he testified in front of Congress saying uh, there was no question that Saddam Hussein is developing uh, WMDs. With Monday night, it, you know, it wasn't so much like it's faked intelligence as much as it's he's hyping up intelligence that doesn't really show what he's claiming it shows. Or he's trying to make a big deal of something that's not a big deal, like when he keeps talking about Iran moving nuclear files, not nuclear material or weapons or anything like that. But right, which, the, which is not a violation of the deal, by r- the way. Right, right. Uh, my que- there's some interesting theories online. Uh, this is a good way to preface a question. Uh <laughs> About the origin of Netanyahu's atomic archive here, uh, the slides, uh, you can look at the slides and some people have been doing the research on the slides and show that the, the, the years are probably between 2014 and 2015 that a lot of the satellite imagery 
of this this facility that Netanyahu is hyping up, which is weird because he's making a claim that the files were moved in 2017, so he's showing an old image. But yes. people have noted that that corresponds with the time frame of when Iran was likely handing over materials to the IAEA, and that this might be part of those materials, and that maybe Israel was hacking the IAEA to get these materials now? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think... I just saw the Avengers last night, and I'd like to congratulate Tony Stark on his new job with Mossad, because if they really (laughs) hauled out half a ton of papers and CD-ROMs from an Iranian facility in one night, then there's some kind of superpower going on. Right, which is their claim, basically. Right, which is what they're claiming and what the New York Times dutifully (laughs) transcribed for them. Um, you know, I, that that seems to be the maybe the most implausible, just physically, from a physical standpoint, the most implausible explanation of where these things came from. Uh, some of the materials that he showed, uh, while they don't show what he wants them to show, like his diagram of the Shahab three warhead, which is designed apparently to hold a, a nuclear warhead. Um, his, you know, that stuff I've seen from people who should know uh, doesn't seem to have come from the IAEA, or at least anything that the IAEA has released uh, publicly. So it's possible that some of this stuff did come from someplace else, maybe from Iran. I think the likelier explanation if it did come from Iran, is that it was hacked and that they got some digital files out of, you know, an Iranian computer system somewhere. Uh, but I don't think you can discount the idea that a lot of this stuff came from the IAEA or from the United States, you know, from the IAEA via the United States, maybe. Derek, you uh, uh, you mentioned that you think the... Uh the overriding factor for the timing of this is uh, the Macron visit and and the Merkel chiding sort of in the context of the deal uh, renewal coming up. There are also uh, some other interesting or uh, rather significant developments uh, vis-a-vis Israel's policy uh, in the region. Uh, They just carried out a strike in Syria, I believe, that is alleged to have killed two dozen or so Iranian soldiers, I believe. Uh, there's also the um, the return march in Gaza where they've fired on um, hundreds, if not uh, almost like 2,000 uh, Palestinian civilians, and that's caused a, a huge outcry on the international scene, um, including places like the United States, where, where you don't see that. We saw Natalie Portman, for example, uh, pull out of a public event in Israel. That was a big deal. Do you think that any of these other sorts of regional slash Palestinian considerations are coming into play here in the timing of this? Uh, I do. I mean, I, I don't think they're driving it as much as the the European visits last week, but um, I certainly think there's some whataboutism happening here where he's trying to deflect attention from the ongoing massacre of protesters in Gaza. Uh, I think that he's probably reacting to some degree to these reports that Trump, or well, not reports, I mean, Trump himself has been talking about pulling out of Syria altogether, and you've seen this sort of panicked (laughs) uh, kind of front from 
everybody in the neocon establishment and some of the mainstream media to start hyping stories about how well ISIS might come back if we leave or uh you know abandoning Syria means the Iranians will have total control over you know who knows what um and you know i think there's some of that going on where uh there's certainly higher than uh you know heightened tension between Iran and and Israel over Syria as you mentioned the strikes uh, the recent strikes that uh, killed a bunch of Iranian personnel. Um, uh, you know, Netanyahu doesn't want the United States to pull out of Syria, bottom line. And so I think anything he can do to reinforce the notion that Iran is dangerous and Iran is a bad actor uh, to kind of convince Trump that the United States needs to stay in Syria indefinitely, uh, I think he's happy to do that. Um, so one thing that's interesting to me is that at the same time as this is going on, the administration is working, or at least appears to be working, towards some kind of diplomatic breakthrough in Korea. What should we make of that discrepancy? Uh, is it even a discrepancy? Uh, I mean, I think it's a huge discrepancy. You, talk, you, you saw John Bolton talk about the Libya model being a model for, for North Korean disarmament. The Libyan model is... You disarm, and then five years or ten years later, we overthrow you and get you killed anyway. Uh, and, you know, Kim Jong-un knows that, and he's he's observed that kind of thing, and he's observing, I'm sure, what's going on with Iran right now. The message that Trump is delivering is that the United States can't be relied upon to, to stick by its international agreements. Uh, whether... They'll just abrogate them, you know, in a year's time when it's convenient, or whether it means you just have to wait until we elect our next reality show president. The only thing you can derive security from is actually possessing nuclear weapons. That's the message that I think this this whole thing sends to to somebody like that. Back to Israel's uh, relationship with European countries, I want to just touch on that uh, briefly for a second here, because you mentioned Macron, you mentioned uh, Merkel. One person I'm also thinking of uh, is Vladimir Putin, of course. Also, Russia is also a permanent member of the UN Security Council. Uh a lot of uh, liberal Democrats seem to uh, have their eyes glaze over when this comes up, but Putin and Netanyahu have a pretty good working relationship. How do you think that comes into play sort of uh, in, in terms of Netanyahu's maneuvering here? I mean, I think a secondary consideration for Netanyahu and really for a lot of the, the security establishment in the United States is trying to open up some daylight between Iran and Russia in Syria. So if you can demonstrate, uh, which this presentation didn't do, but if you could demonstrate that Iran has been actually cheating on the nuclear deal, you could maybe um, sway Putin um, to rethink some of his relationship with the Iranians. And they, I mean, they do have somewhat differing objectives for Syria. Uh, and there is the potential, if if it were played right, to to kind of jam a, the metaphorical crowbar in there and open up some space between them. 
so I'm sure that that's a consideration. I don't think it's a major consideration. It would be sort of a neat side benefit. The main consideration is getting the U.S. out of the nuclear deal and keeping Trump in Syria. Derek, finally, one last thing before we go. Uh, you're a Penguins fan. I'm a Caps fan. Tonight is game three. The series <laughs> is tied 1-1. Despite my being a Caps fan, if I had to bet, I would bet every single penny I own on the Penguins winning in seven games, <laughs> despite the fact that the Caps have looked pretty good so far. And despite the fact that Barbara Bush's ghost is now haunting the Penguins. And all of the Caps' enemies. Uh that said, I was just curious, you as a Penguins fan, do you have a prediction uh, for how this series is going to turn out? Um, so, this is going to be inside baseball, but I, I think uh, it depends on what, whether Malkin comes back and can play well. And Hagelin. Hurt. Uh, yeah, Hagelin too. Malkin's more important because he's just you know, a very good player. But they're, I mean, their biggest problem right now is that they don't have anybody scoring except Crosby's line, and you know, if they if they don't fix that, I think Washington has a, a fairly good chance of getting through this. Plus, for, M- for Murray has a kind of a shaky glove hand right now. I would say. Yeah, he's a little he's a little off. Uh, I I don't know. I I think his problem is more that he goes down too quick. He's such a tall guy. If he stands up more, he covers more than that. I think he's he's got to change his. Uh, his approach. Well, I, I will say he has had a few amazing stick saves, so maybe it's not the going down. But anyway, we're 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 kind of dragging on. All right, here. that's enough of that. <laughs> Derek Davison, follow him on Twitter at dwdavison nine three one eight. Check out his blog, and that's the way it was at attwiw dot com. Derek, where can people find your Patreon? Uh, it's uh, patreon dot com slash. Uh, Davison D13. There it is. Derek, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks again to Derek Davison. I was this close to getting him to admit that he thinks the Penguins are going to lose. <laughs> but I shouldn't say that. I, I Fuck, I just cursed the Caps. Fuck, fuck. <laughs> That's going to do it for the show. Thanks to our sponsors, the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Also, levelnews.org and Citizen capital subscribe to the free podcast district sentinel radio on itunes soundcloud stitcher or tune in by searching for district sentinel radio give us a review give us a rating tell your friends to listen the newscast returns tomorrow we're in dc so you don't have to be